Hey, Julian. Yeah, Mike. Why, why, is, why is cancer so serious? I don't know. People do treat it as a sort of instant death sentence, don't they, as soon as they hear it? Yeah. I don't know much about it, to be honest. We need to get someone on to tell us how you can treat it. Okay. Why, why, why can't you treat it just like you can treat diabetes and things like that? I don't know. Who, who are you going to get on? Let's get Inga Brannock on. She, she's the world's best oncological veterinary nurse. Let's do it. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Mike Brampton. And my name is Julian Hope. Welcome to Veterinary Ramblings. Hello. Hello, Inga. Hello, Inga. How's things? We're fine, we're fine. How are you? Good, thank you, yeah. And I wonder whether we'd go straight in with the, with the hard-hitting questions, Mike. You, you've, you've seen some of these episodes or heard some before, have you, Inga? Yes, yeah. So you know a bit about what to expect. If, if, we, if we go too fast or, or, or ask any questions that, that, that are harrowing or too soul-searching, tell us. But we like to sort of dive right in. So, Mike, do you want to go ask? That's a big question because we've only just met Inga and she seems a very, very nice sort of person. I think she take it. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go it. for yeah. it. I, I, that's absolutely fine. Inga, all of our listeners and probably most of our, most of our viewers as well um, almost certainly will want to know Three, two, one. Inga, what what is your favourite bread? Favourite bread? Oh, it's got to be like an Irish soda bread, right? A cheese soda bread? Oh, yes, yeah. I thought it was yeah. going to be that. Yeah, okay. now, do you put a bit of onion in that occasionally? I like baking, so I like making my own bread, but there's a, a place back home called Avoca, which uh, does really good food and does a really good cheese soda bread. So. I've got... I've got the Avoca uh, uh, cookery book. Yes, it's great. Mm. Great cookery book. Yeah. Great. And I've made their, their soda bread. Yeah, it's never as good when you make it yourself. I reckon there's a secret ingredient that's not in that recipe book. There's something there's that we something. Said. Although I always, I always start off making my own buttermilk to start with. Oh, I see. You're you're hardcore. That's that's full on. It's easy. It's easy enough. You know, you get, get uh, what, uh, pint of warm milk and put um, the juice of a whole lemon in. Mm. And just leave that for ten minutes, and uh, the the acidic conditions are what help the uh, uh, the, the, the bicarb soda to make the bread rise. Ah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because the buttermilk here, weirdly enough, isn't the same as the buttermilk in Ireland, which is very strange. Well, it's it's probably is it unpasteurized and probably a higher fat content. Maybe who knows? So, so what other bread do you like making? What other baking do you like doing? Oh, um, cakes, lots of cakes. The guys in work love me um, during mm-hmm. lockdown. So I moved job just <clears throat> just prior to lockdown and they found out I could bake and I would bake and I would come in and it was when all the shortages of food and, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't get maybe pasta for a while. and I couldn't get flour for a while. So a few times I came into work and there was a, um, you know, a, a packet of flour on my desk. Or some <laughs> baking powder, or, yeah, whatever I couldn't get. They were just like, bake for us, bake us things. So yeah, I'm quite, um, I like making a birthday cake if someone's got a birthday coming up. Um, cupcakes, pizza dough, bread, anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. All Excellent. in. Have you ever seen the book Dough by, um, oh gosh, I can't remember his name. It'll come to me. Re- really good book of um uh, of, of, of bread recipes, dough recipes. 
Oh no, I'll have to. I'll have to have a look at that now. Having a is it? Oh gosh, Peter Martinet or something. Um, there's a lovely recipe for soup bowls made out of bread. Oh yeah, nice. Very. Um, we went to the Czech Republic at one stage, and you could get mm. you know, your po- or your goulash served in bread, which yeah. we thought was a title yeah. at the time, and then it just arrives in bread. So you're like, oh, okay. You don't leave it for too long, do you? It'll tuck right in. Well, yeah, you'd imagine not. Well, yeah, exactly. The whole thing just deconstructs onto your, onto your plates. So, is, is, Julian, is this dough by Richard Bertinet? That's it. That's the one. Uh, Bertinet, not Peter Martinet. Yes. Yeah. I got the F right, didn't I? Yeah. His second one's crust, isn't it? I was going to say the follow-up to it is crust, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I've got that as well. You've got that as well. There we go. But obviously, Inga, Inga doesn't need that, and I've, I, I haven't got it, and I can't read anyway, so no point <laughs> in having it. So, uh, so on, on, uh, on our next episode of Bake with Veterinary Ramblings. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> but that leads us nicely on, I thought, a little segue there, into, into cancer, because I suspect you know a lot more about cancer uh, than, than Mike and I put together. Um, I know a bit about cancer, yes. Because you're, um, you're probably not going to blow your own trumpet about it, but you're, you're actually one of the top registered veterinary nurses in the country in terms of uh, oncology. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. Well, credit where credit's due, or credit where credit's Julian, as they say. Um, <laughs> so do, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, so yes, um, so I got into oncology after a long time in general practice, so I qualified 2007, spent 11 years in general practice and spent a lot of time kind of wondering about what I wanted to do, whether I wanted niche. Um, and it was a bit of a chance encounter, really. Um, I had two patients in one week with grade five lymphoma, both golden retrievers, both incredibly clinically well. And on diagnosis, were within a week, were put to sleep. Um, and I remember thinking there's there's something not right about this. You know, surely we can do something else. And then I happened to go to a lecture um, and the lecturer was telling us about this new cancer hospital he was building in Surrey. And immediately just something sparked and I thought, that's what I want to do. So I was general practice, went to GP, absolutely terrified, or sorry, general practice went to referrals, absolutely terrified. And didn't know what I was doing, moved country, um, and just loved it. Loved it straight away, worked my way up, just learned, learned, learned. So I did a dip AVN and then did um, my postgrad cert. So I just completed that this year in oncology and um, started advanced veterinary nursing oncology. And yeah, I love it. Just learn every day. And that's the specialist tech. That's a that's a, a university postgraduate cert in advanced veterinary nursing. So it's the highest oncology specific qualification you can do here, I guess. Um, but I am doing the, the veterinary tech specialist oncology um, qualification. I'm kind of applying for that this year. And that's through the American College, you so That's through ACLIM, yes, through the American College, yeah. Right. So that's that's pretty full on. It's quite a bit. Sure. That's amazing. But why... I mean, you, you've, you've sort of outlined why cancer, uh, because you felt that there was more that could be done to, to, to these dogs. Um, what is it that's so fascinating about cancer and treatment of cancer in, in your 
For me, I guess it's a mix because I, well, I've had a dog with cancer myself. So that, that makes me relate, I guess, the, the human animal bond in terms of preserving that for as long as possible. Um, I think certainly learning about cancer, it changes all the time. There's always something new. There's always some new treatment. There's always something upcoming that we can do. And because obviously human cancer treatments and canine and feline cancer treatments, we're using the same drugs we're using very similar protocols obviously less you know intense doses um, and different maybe um different end goals let's say um but it's it's just constantly changing there's constantly something new coming up there's constantly something new we can try or something something else we can help with um so that's that's part of it for me it's just the constant learning you know it never grows old there's always something new coming up um and then a lot of it is the care, the pet care contact, um, mm-hmm. the build, the bond really that we build with the carers and with their pets. Um, and that's something that I never thought I would love as much as I do. Mm-hmm. But I've met people, I think one of my first patients when I came over to the UK in 2015, um, that pet carer, even though that dog died quite a while ago, um, she keeps in touch with me. I get photos of her new dog, you know, so that that's you make such a difference in someone's life um, yes. and they, they remember that they appreciate it. And I think as a veterinary nurse, it's really nice to, to be doing something that we can use our skills and be very much appreciated and, right. and have that bond with people. Um, and we're kind of working on the same team, I guess with the pet error as well. It's not, you know, you against them. Mm. You're all, you've all got the same goal. So yeah, it's, it's quite satisfying in that sense. You, you very quickly skipped through there. Inga, um, did I hear you say that your dog had cancer? Yes. So he had, this is Eric, isn't it? It is Eric, yes. He's Eric, a sweet your side. dog. Okay. How did that affect you? Um, so it was quite strange, actually, because he had a very, very small mass that I found one morning just petting his stomach. He used to roll over for a kind of tummy rub every morning, gave him a tummy rub and went, oh, what's this? Just a tiny, tiny, you know, matter of millimetres lump on his chest. And um, I guess I was lucky because I worked in a cancer hospital. Uh-huh. So in he came under my arm and straight mm-hmm. up kind of said to my clinician, we're FNAing this. Um, poor them. They had to FNA my dog who, you know, he's well across. <laughs> he's not a huge fan of having things done. So muzzle went on and yeah. had an FNA and our oncologist, um, Mike, came back to me and he said, I think there's spindle cells. I think we're looking at a tumor here. Uh-huh. Um, I think we should take this off. So again, privileged, got him in for surgery very quickly, did his own anesthetic actually, or did his anesthetic myself, which <laughs> I'm a, I just didn't want to stick someone else with if there was an issue. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, this by my side, just holding my hand, but, um, and then got a diagnosis back of a soft tissue sarcoma and we were lucky. It was a grade one, low grade, no further treatment, just monitoring. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it definitely brought it back to me because I became I became the client, you know. Apart yeah. from that yeah. that time when you know doing the anaesthetic, I disassociated completely. I was like, right, this is a different dog. It's under drapes. It's fine. But but waiting for results, waiting to find out what was going on, looking at my dog post op, um, very groggy, not feeling great, trying to restrict him. I was the client. I was not a veterinary nurse with knowledge. I was mm. 
the person going, oh God, what do I do? You know, calling my colleagues going, oh, do you think I could walk them for a bit longer? And I'm thinking we, we take this for granted so much, don't we, that we go, well, why can't, why can't they keep the buster collar on? You know, it's a simple thing. Absolutely. Just keep the buster collar yeah. on. Yeah. And then, you know, I get home and he's got it halfway around his armpit and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's, it's, not just, it's not just them. It's, it's hard to restrict your dog for 10 days. It, it is. It is. He's six kilos. He doesn't need that one walk. But. No. no. But until you go through it yourself, you're absolutely right. We feel we, we, we're very much dictatorial to our clients, aren't we? Yeah. I think we, we assume that we know how it feels, but until we're in that position, it's very difficult. And of course, everyone's different. Everyone's going to feel differently. But we think because maybe we've got the knowledge that it's easy, but it's actually when it's your dog, it's not. It's not at all. Um, And even things like, you know, he's 14 now. um, This cancer hasn't recurred, but I get really bad anticipatory grief. So sometimes I look at him and think, oh, my God, he's he's going to die. What am I going to do when he dies? So even that kind of end of life, I I absolutely can properly empathize with people now because I've, I've had that myself. So, you know, again, you're not completely in someone's shoes, but you've got that. Yeah. Insight, I think, into into how they might feel, or yeah. be able to reassure them a little bit. Has that affected you in any other ways at all? Has what do you mean? Sorry. Well, in go, going through that whole experience, has it affected you in other ways? Are the are the lessons that you've learnt from your own experience as being both the owner and the and the clinician that you now yeah. bring into your practice? I think. Um, yeah, certainly the empathy being the, the first part. Um, practically, some stuff, yeah, in terms of, you know, he he fits a size zero to three months baby grow, is what I found out, <laughs> because I thought, well, <laughs> let's try some kind of bodysuit. So finding ways, I guess, to maybe restrict him a bit and, and keep him occupied when I had to keep him quiet, that kind of thing. So I guess practical tips maybe to sell pet carers. Um I think a, a lot of what I gained from that was being able to reassure people more because when people hear that you've gone through that, even though it's not the same as a lot of my clients, you know, it's not a terminal diagnosis. It's not that we're looking at a matter of months, but being able to say, yes, you're, you're going to put your hand on your dog and think, oh my God, is that a lump? Is the cancer back? Is this, you know, this cough that he does? Is this Mets? You know, having that understanding of that, that feeling of, absolute terror when you think oh god the cancer's back that's that's massive i think and a lot of people have said to me that that makes a difference for them right and it's easier then for for you to gain empathy yeah absolutely i think we've we've said before on on this show and and, and a lot of our guests see as well that, that we're not treating dogs and cats in isolation we never do that we treat the dog owner and the cat owner Bond, don't we always? We treat them both. And you mentioned the the, the animal bond yourself, or the pet bond. Um, it's I mean, how important is that to you? Treating the whole family, if you like. Yeah, no, it's it's a team effort, isn't it? It's mm. you can't have one on its own. You can't have the pet on its own. You can't have the pet carer on its own. You can't have the clinician on their own or the nurse on their own. You you need to really work as as a team and work out what's specific to that pet on that you know that family as well so um i hate the way the word holistic has been very much hijacked so mm-hmm. if i say because i tend to say mm-hmm. i work 
you know, looking at holistically, looking at the patient and looking at their family and what suits all of their needs. Um, and people think immediately, oh, homeopathy. And I'm like, that's that's not what I'm talking about at all. If it helps, he's a Libra. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. so it, it really doesn't. The magnets aren't going to do anything here. <laughs> no. And unfortunately, because, <laughs> you know, people as well, that's that's another side of it. When when a pet's got cancer, someone will clutch up all those straws. They'll go, well, I'll try this and I'll try that. And gaining that, that kind of understanding of what they're actually maybe giving their pet and having that trust that they will tell you and that you can say, right, I'm going to look this up. And no, it's not harmful. OK, fine. Use it. Or yes, actually, this has antioxidant properties and it, it may actually interfere with our chemotherapy because we're, you know, aiming for this kind of um, cancer killing process. You yeah. want the drugs to help the cells that are killing yeah. the cancer exactly. them by oxidation. So yes, if you give an antioxidant, then you're completely ruining it. There was that trial, wasn't there, using this many years uh, as a cancer therapy mm. and patients did so badly on it and died a lot quicker, so they had to actually stop the uh, um, clinical experiment. Yeah, there's quite a few, quite a few things people use, and you you turn around and you say, actually, there's actually a very good um, kind of herbs and natural remedies app. That's that's a human. It's I think it's Memorial Cancer uh, Memorial Sloan Hospital and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. Cancer Center in the states, and you can look up everything turmeric, you know, the lot. And it will give you the trials and you can actually say, well, actually, you know, because I think, you know, if it's of no harm, then why not? There's a great difference between homeopathy, which is magic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it's magic that doesn't work. Uh, and, and herbalism, which can have effects, some of which can be beneficial, some of which can be dangerous. You know, herbs aren't benign things. Uh, well, oregano is, but... <laughs> Uh, so, for, for example, uh, Ganoderma, uh, which is um, a bracket fungus, is often used as adjunct therapy in human medicine, human oncology, uh, as a, a reducer of some liver side effects and liver toxicity. Uh, but if you were to eat Ganoderma, uh, apart from the fact that it's pretty bitter and will make you feel sick, uh, it, it could really quite uh, injure your guts. So. People need to get things right and they need to have you involved if they want to use that sort of thing because they could harm the treatment, they could harm the pet. Uh, or, conversely, they could come up with a mix that, that does help. But there's no point in doing that unless there's a, a proper clinical overview of it, is there? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like you say, you've got your, your side effects to everything. So, yeah. you know, it's not, it's people do think, well, it's a plant, it's benign, but yeah, it's much. It's not always the case, unfortunately. So I don't know much about this subject. Um, my dad died of cancer, but that was that, and, and that. But it strikes me this is a pretty tough area to work in. It, I guess, it is and it isn't. Um, it's something that I get told a lot. A lot of people. It's probably the most common thing people say when they find out I'm working in oncology. They say, "Oh, that must be so sad." Right. Okay. Um, it, I have very much flipped it on its head in a way because, yes, there are very sad moments. And, yes, a lot of our patients will eventually pass away. Mm-hmm. But we have these moments of kind of life-affirming joy as well where the patients do much better than expected. Or we have a dog at the moment that we diagnosed in 2020 with lymphoma. Um, she was on oxygen. She was dyspneic. She was mediastinal lymphoma. 
um, and she's alive. We've gone to, I think, six monthly checks on her now after one course of chemo. And effectively, we've cured her. And that was a dog that I know people were saying she was in ICU. They were saying, should we put this dog to sleep? So, you know, if we can, if we can give these patients this quality of life, and that's, that's to me, that's the most important thing. It's Mm. not about longevity. It's not about what we're doing or what we're not doing. It's about this patient having quality of life. Mm -hmm. It's about them having a quality of life that aligns with maybe what their family wants for them as well, rather than what we dictate. I was going to say, as as a vet, a lot of the difficulty of referring a pet uh, to, to an oncologist because it's much better to, to get a referral to, to, to an oncological team uh, rather than doing chemotherapy, I think, as a first opinion practitioner because uh, you have much more in, in terms of facilities and knowledge. But one of the main difficulties is everyone has had experiences with, with cancer, haven't they, with, 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 their, with their family, with their friends. And those experiences ultimately may not be wonderful. Um, because in humans, the, the prime objective is to cure. And so we use much higher doses, we use much harsher regimes, and people do suffer as a result. That, the, the, the end point, sorry, I worded that wrong, the, 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 the final end point, hopefully, is that they get cured uh, more often than not. Mm-hmm. Whereas with our pets, the end point is not often a cure, but an extended quality of life. But people come along and they say, what can we do? Or what, what is it? We say it's cancer. Would you like referral? I really we word it a bit different than that. You know, it's cancer. Would you like referral? And they say, oh, no, no, I don't want to put my dog through that. And there's this picture in their mind, isn't there, of poor Uncle Fred having, having a really tough time of it and, um, and suffering and struggling. But it's really not like that, is it, with, with dogs and cats? No, it's it's hard because yeah, we do we do get this correlation, don't we? And it's what one in two humans, one in three humans, and probably one in three, one in four cats and dogs, depending. Um, and they do, you know, chemo certainly is a dirty word. You know, it's it's this image, like you say, people vomiting, people losing all their hair, and you know, it's fine because we can tell people, well, we're doing this in order to cure you, but with with our patients canine and feline patients we're not going to do that we want to keep that quality of life so yeah there's a lot of i guess explaining to people that even though the drugs are the same that the end goal is very very different and um, and yeah it's 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 hard sometimes because we will get these and it's really frustrating for me certainly to see someone say oh well you had cancer and you know there was no point trying something and i'm like well if you've been given all the options that's fine that's absolutely fine. Euthanasia is absolutely an option in my in my mind. Uh-huh. If that's what's best for the family, if that's what's best for the pet, if finances don't allow, if maybe there's someone pregnant in the house and chemotherapy, you know, is going to pose a hazard to them, mm-hmm. that's fine. Absolutely. You make the decision that's correct for your family and for your pet. If you've not been given those options, then that's what, what gets to me. I want everyone to be given the full range of options from nothing to everything, obviously within reason. Um, And then, you know, some guidance maybe to make that decision or, you know, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, then we'll, we'll change to this. But that's the most frustrating thing for me. This, you know, chemo is awful. Let's not do it. 
Um, and what happens quite frustratingly, certainly with our lymphoma cases, is that we um, they go not doing chemo, too invasive. They put the dog on prednisolone for a couple of weeks. Dog yeah. incredibly well on prednisolone, and they go, "Oh, we'll try chemo now." And we're going, "Well, actually, you've got you've got chemo resistance to some extent now. Your your pet's not going to do as well." As if you had maybe just tried vincristine to begin with, and, and absolutely, it's, absolutely. Yeah. Don't, don't if you're going to take your dog down the chemotherapy route, don't get the vet give steroids. Yeah, yeah, or at least not at a high dose for a prolonged period of time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and quite often you'll find that the vet themselves have fixed views about it, and so I think you're right. Clients don't often get the best advice. From the vet, they just get told, "Oh, wouldn't use chemo, wouldn't go down that route." I think, I think it's getting better. Having said mm-hmm. that, I think we are yeah. getting more referrals. We get, we get more word of mouth. So, you know, my friend's dog came to you. I'm going to bring my dog to you. That kind of thing. Um, and people will push their vets a little bit to say, "Can I be referred? Can I, you know, can I have this other option?" Um, I think we have. Obviously, we're biased because. The patients we see are referred by vets who believe in chemotherapy. So sure, I don't sure. see those patients that, that don't go for chemo anymore because I'm not in that, in that situation. Um, and that's, I guess, a lot of the reason why I do a lot of the social media stuff that I do, um, nearly to flip that kind of idea of oncology as this depressing land of awfulness on its head and to show people these pets that are doing well um, and to maybe to get in the back door. So maybe the vet doesn't believe in what we're doing, but actually his vet nurse is looking at social media and is going, actually, this person says, you know, these patients do well on chemo. So why aren't we doing this? Okay. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping those vet nurses who are looking are as stubborn as, and as annoying as I am with my clinicians <laughs> where I sit there going, can we try this? How about this? Can we do this? <laughs> and eventually it might get through a little bit that yes, we can at least, talk about the options rather than dismissing everything straight away. That's brilliant. Mm. You've mentioned several times the you're looking at treating the patient and the, the human animal bond. How much time do you find yourself counseling the owners through the whole process or during clinics or is that a big part of your job? Counseling, did you? Oh, counseling. counseling. Sorry, counseling. <laughs> sorry. Yes. <laughs> I was very confused there for a minute. Um, That's right. Yeah, there, there's a lot of communication. I think communication is really, really important in what mm-hmm. we do, certainly. And you say one wrong thing, and this is where I have to be careful sometimes because I think, how am I going to phrase this? Because if you phrase something slightly clunkily, or if you're not in the right frame of mind and you're just a little bit short, or you can that can be the end of that treatment for that patient because they they don't have that trust in you anymore or um they're not happy to kind of keep treating so uh, a lot of it is definitely discussing the possibilities of what might happen um validating people's feelings because they they get this whole range of grief mm-hmm. on diagnosis nearly they know their pet's got cancer so they're going to they're going to go into those grief stages. They're going to go into that angry stage or that denial stage. Or, um, and I'm not a counsellor. That's not my job. But, you know, I will to, to an extent absolutely talk to someone, talk them through what's normal, talk them through, yes, you know, we can we can help with this. We can't help with this. We're lucky we have a hospital counsellor in my my referral practice. So um, 
So we do have, we do have someone we can refer to. Um, the Blue Cross have a great bereavement line. Um, there's lots of pet bereavement and pet counsellors out there nowadays actually as well. So there's lots of signposting of, you know, you may be struggling with this, but actually here's someone who might be able to help you. Or um, there's some forums and stuff as well, you know, online. Obviously, you've always got to be a bit careful about those. But um, just putting people in contact with people who know what it's like, I think, is is huge and valuable. Oh. Um, because there's always that. It's just a pet, isn't there? Yeah, and, and money is at the base of a lot of that, isn't it? They, yeah. They, they, they spent how much on chemotherapy? And it didn't work well. They're foolish, aren't they? My goodness me. Yeah. And how, how, do you, how do you deal with that sort of thing? People coming along saying, uh, how much do they go? Well, can't you do something cheaper? How can you, how can you take that money off? It's, it's my dog. How can you do that? Yeah, I guess, again, we're, we're lucky. It doesn't happen that often. Um, I guess if they've been happy enough to accept the referral to you. Yeah. And we do try and keep an estimate of costs when we can. You know, if we're asked about it, if we know someone's money conscious, um, if someone's not insured, we'll try and work around that as much as possible because we don't want to make something inaccessible either if they're genuinely doing their best Uh to pay for something. Chemo drugs are expensive. There's not much we can do there. Um, I know we do some of the some of the drug costs we probably charge less than we should to be honest because they are so expensive that we yeah. try and kind of make it accessible like I said um, and then we have some autonomy in terms of work I know you know not every hospital will have this but um, I, I have gone to our hospital director before and said you know these people we want to restage we want to see what's going on they don't really have the money. They're pulling money out of, you know, this savings pot. Can we help them out? Can we do this at cost price? And they, they can be actually very good for doing that. So just helping as much as possible. So, but it is hard when it comes down to money, but. It, everything comes down to money, doesn't it? And it is. Yeah. Yeah. Probably the most difficult part, I think, of, of our job is is having to constantly justify what what is obvious, that, that things cost money that people aren't used to. So. Auntie Maud would have had cancer therapy for a year and uh, they wouldn't have had to pay a penny. Yeah. And how could it be £30,000 for a dog? That's ridiculous. That's all right. Our government have got this in hand. We'll all have to start paying to see our GP soon. Yeah. The ambulance, the ambulance oh, no. man will say, you know, you can scan your credit card here and we'll whisk you into the hospital. Yeah. It'll you just work. put a chip and pin in the back of your hand and then you don't even have to be awake. They can mm. just... Just scan your arm, be fine. Whatever you do, don't amputate that hand. Why not? That's my chip and pin hand. Exactly. (laughs) If they put it in your head, they're not going to amputate that. That's a safe bet. So that's what those chips are in the back of the neck on the dogs and cats, is it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Did you not know that? That's that's for billing purposes. (laughs) Beep, beep, how much for the cancer therapy show? Beep, not scanning. Beep, that's got it, that's got it, yeah. Type in the number. <laughs> <laughs> Type in the number. <laughs> Brilliant stuff. Yeah. So palliative care, we've been talking about cancer therapy as being a very positive thing. And then a lot of people consider then the opposite side of the coin, where, where we're not treating, we're giving uh, palliative care. A lot of people see it as a as a giving up. There's nothing we can do, so we're basically to give some feel-good drugs. But there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Palliative care is 
a discipline in, in itself, um, and and rightly so. Do, do you have any, I don't know, bits of advice for, for owners whose dogs or cats have been told that the most suitable treatment is palliative care, what, what they could expect from that? Yeah, I think palliative care is a funny one, isn't it? Because people do, they they think of this, you know, like it's it's giving up. And I think in mm. human medicine, that's nearly changed because they're trying to push for, you know, palliative care is, I guess, more of what we're doing in veterinary in terms of um, extending quality of life, mm-hmm. keeping patients as comfortable as possible, not necessarily talking end of life. And that's where the, the distinction comes. Mm. Um, I guess... Yeah, from my point of view, it, it's not necessarily end of life. It's just assessing all those needs that that patient has and the things that they maybe can't do as well as they used to and just trying to get everything up to par as much as possible. So, you know, they're not eating as much. Can we give them appetite stimulants? Can we tempt them to eat? Can we give them this diet or that diet? Um, analgesia, comfort, massage, all of that. But equally at the same time, Doing those, you know, having those bucket lists, having these these joyful experiences with with your pets, so that you're not looking at your pet thinking, "This is awful, my pet's going to die," but enjoying the time you have with them and celebrating the good times that you have, and you know, doing whatever makes them happy, feeding them jam sandwiches, or mm. you know, going to the beach, or you know, um, I had a, a patient who hated golden retrievers. And we used to joke that on his bucket list was to to really mob a golden retriever one day. Of course he didn't, <laughs> but it was on Oscar's bucket list. It was like you know he hates them. Someday we're just gonna we're just gonna ambush one in the park. So just those those silly things, or you know, chase the bin man down the lane. Hmm. You know, not necessarily stuff they're going to do, but just to to make that list of things to celebrate the pets, and rather than having this kind of mourning them before they're gone. I guess. Allow the dog to chase the binman down the lane. Well, yes, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Not, not, not the client. <laughs> right, okay. I feel like I'm getting in trouble. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> I mean, maybe good, not good, actually allowing them, but, you know, allowing them to think that they've chased the binman away. Not, yeah. I have nothing yeah. against binmen. Absolutely. Nothing wrong with used to hate the postman. Yeah. <laughs> he did. <laughs> my, my dog likes to bark at anyone who bark, who knocks at the door or like rings the doorbell but then if they come in he's terrified and he, he runs off he's like oh god they came in this, this so. is eric you're talking about yes yeah i think we should clarify for our, our listeners here that eric is a um a gigantic oh huge massive massive huge oh. kilos. <laughs> uh, was it a dire wolf yeah, a bit bigger than that. Yeah, Direwolf Cross. You know the never-ending story, that giant, is it Falco? Oh, yes. Years? Right. Yeah, yeah, now what was that? What was he? I was in never-ending story mixed up with Labyrinth. It was David Bowie's thing, wasn't it? Yes, that was David Bowie. Yeah. 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 Never understood. I don't know what breed that was. I do have a, um, a Tibetan Terrier that comes into me at the moment that looks a little bit like those big ears. <laughs> so you've got you've got a direwolf chihuahua cross. Yes, pretty much. Aren't all chihuahuas direwolf crosses? Probably, probably. Yeah. They've, they've got very strong opinions, haven't they? Very strong opinions. Yes, he's actually I think cross Jack Russell, mm. which is stubborn crossed with stubborn. Um, he's yeah, definitely. I have been trained over a period of probably seven years 
to submit to his will. So he just looks at me and I feed him toast. It's pretty much how it works. Sounds reasonable. That sounds reasonable. He's also trained, so I bring him to work with me. He sleeps in a crate under my desk. And the person who sits behind me um, brings in extra lunch for him most days. Presumably not a lot of extra lunch because a dog that size goes a long way, doesn't it? He would eat it if she made it. But um, yeah, she brings in an extra sandwich for him. And he will harass her from about 12 o'clock. You'll hear these little feet tapping and he starts kind of and like snorting and having a little sneeze just to remind her that he's there. Um, yeah. And I'll, I'll hear her go, no, no, not not yet, Eric. Lunch isn't yet. I'm going, Who, what is going on here? Literally, the dog has trained you to bring in extra food for him. It's pretty good. <laughs> Clever that's little dogs. Going. Yes, that's damn good going, that is. <laughs> do, do you find that you take your job home with you? Well, she do, takes Eric home. Do, 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 do the K-way take, take Eric home? I mean, I'm wondering, you, you, um, I know you like listening to music. You, you, you told us that very kindly in your email to us. But what, what do you do to sort of switch off and, and expel the bad thoughts when you get home? Are, are there bad thoughts? Do you manage to compartmentalise things, or what do, you, do you take the case with you? Yeah. So, um. In terms of like euthanasias, that kind of thing, if we do have them, I tend to, I'm not massively emotional in work. I'm not a crier in work usually. Um, they do upset me, but I will bring them home sometimes and I get home and have a you know a bit of a weep and kind of just maybe mourn the patient. And I tend to then set that aside. So I'll have my half hour to get upset and, and try and just then shake it off and, you know, reset. Because I'm no use to anyone if I'm if I'm upset on an ongoing basis. I think the majority of our patients, because we do so much, we do all we can for them. There's not a sense of regret. It's the ones maybe where you think, oh, we could have done this or we could have identified this sooner. Or sometimes the patients who are maybe put to sleep too late, so they're really in and not in a good state by the time they come into us. That's more what gets me. Um, I'm very clear on boundaries, though. Mm-hmm. And that's something I learned over the past couple of years, I guess, in previous jobs. I don't look at emails outside of work. Um, I don't look at any of our practice management systems. Obviously, they're all on the cloud. I don't look at anything like that when I'm not in. And that makes a massive difference for me. Just being able to go, actually, if there's something urgent, the team know that they can ring me. Um, and usually if it's something urgent, it's we need a chemo for this patient, you know, on a weekend. And I'll talk them through it. That's fine. But I don't want to read, you know, such and such patient has passed away or, you know, this is going on or that's going on. It just stresses me out. So, so I set these quite clear boundaries and work are very good actually about um, honouring them. That's really good. That's really yeah. good. Yeah. How, how do you do that? How do you manage to do that? Um, I think I, I switch, I put everything on mute in terms of, so we have a kind of a work, um, it's like a work Facebook, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's got lots of kind of, you can get messages or you can see posts and that all goes onto mute automatically from seven o'clock when I finish right. um, until nine o'clock the next morning. So I don't get any of those messages when I'm not in. Um, as I said, if they need to call me, they'll just call me and I'll pick up the phone call. So that's fine. Um, same with emails. I don't have emails on my phone. I don't have emails on my laptop. Um, I'll pick them up if I'm on work. Again, if there's something urgent, it'll come to me via kind of someone contacting me so that's tremendous willpower i wish i had that yeah. <laughs> well, this, is, this is why I'm, this is why i'm asking because yeah you know, inga says this is what i do and i sort of think 
yeah, I'd sort of quite like to do that. And then I go to bed and I think, oh, I wonder. Yeah. And I flip it open. I, I, I know, you do the last thing at night, you think, I never heard back from so-and-so. Yeah. And then you look at the email and I think, oh, yeah, I wish I hadn't heard back from so-and-so. Oh, and, and there's this as well. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I should have done that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, another hour is wasted. It's, it's the same thing as doom-scrolling news, isn't it? Yeah. The other thing I have is I do have some work apps on my phone, but they're in, they're kind of all the way across, four or five pages across in a folder. So I have to consciously click all the way across, click into the folder and then click into the app. And usually by the time I've clicked into the folder, I'm like, what am I doing? I don't want to look at this right now. So so it kind of adds a, a mental break that I go, actually, no, I'm not going to do this. Um, we're lucky though, we've got 24 hour ICU. So I know that if any of my patients are in difficulty, they'll call into them. So, you know, there's a certain level of buffer there that I'm not letting anyone down by not looking at those emails. Right. Well, as I say, I, I, I wish I had your willpower. That, that sounds ideal. And we we, we so often speak of, uh, of mental well-being uh, on this podcast because, as we know, the veteran profession is, is rife with, with poor examples of it. And I think a lot of it is the fact that we are assailed constantly now yeah. by by work and uh, it's not healthy it's really not no it's it really isn't um i guess that's something that i struggled with in a previous job again it's kind of learned you know i i did struggle a lot with anxiety and with stress and with walking home just thinking i'm not doing my job properly you know i'm i was never doing enough so i'm i've been very very conscious in the last couple of years just to to look after myself and to have that self-care and to, you know, I don't, I work four day weeks, but I work long hours, but that means that I will always have Friday, Saturday, Sunday off at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll use a lot of that. You know, I do a lot of my own work, but that's different, isn't it? You know, you, I can just apply. This is what I want to do. This is my, even though it's still oncology, it's, yeah. it's kind of my part of things. Um, and that's your lecturing and, uh, the papers you write and, and uh, you've written some very good review articles for vet nurse journals. Yes, so um, yeah, I've got a few of them on the on the go. Hopefully, at the moment. So, um, and then even just my study and stuff, getting that done on on Fridays. That was kind of why I originally took Fridays to be able to do that. And mm-hmm. um, because you know, if you're in work, say to seven o'clock, you might end up in work till eight o'clock or half eight because our days are late, don't they? If I'm not in work, they can't call me in. So if I'm not in on a Friday, they can't say, can you stay for another hour? So that's kind of why I did it. So I've got, you know, that clear time to do my own stuff. Um, Very important. But yeah, I think, I think flexible working and, and having that, you know, working the way that suits you, I think is, is the only way that that repression is going to progress really. Is this kind of really standardized? You work long days, you work extra hours, you don't get lunch breaks. That's not good for anyone. And that's, probably part of the reason why we're we're destroying a lot of our staff by just bombarding them with work i think it is i think it's, it's one of the reasons for compassion burnout which is rife in the, uh, the profession yeah. absolutely how can you look after someone else if you can't look after yourself that's the yeah. thing yeah yeah absolutely you've covered you've just brushed across a lot of things there like quality of life and teaching and the journals and and bits and pieces i'm wondering if we can just bring some of that together for for just for a moment well what for a minute you mean yeah i was wondering about whether we could bring all some of that stuff together for a minute 
Have you um you you've you've listened to the show? I think haven't you, Inga? I have. You have okay. only once or twice. <laughs> Usually in the car, actually. I'm sure people driving near me are going, "What is she listening to?" Deviates <laughs> <laughs> on into like strange topics, and then you know. It depends whether you're laughing or crying. I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not crashing, so that's the main thing. Well, that's, the, that's the main thing, and and we we don't we don't really do a sing song, do we, Julian? So it's, that's not going to happen. No, that was banned after the first two episodes. I think it was, wasn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Well, I thought maybe you could add that in. That would be quite nice. Oh. Slow kind of singing section, no karaoke. You, you, you haven't heard us sing. <laughs> we took it out. We took it out. <laughs> the number of things we took out from the show compared to the earlier episodes, like, yeah. uh, like my the, jokes, your my jokes, jokes. Yeah. 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 And I must say, actually, on, on that um, on that front, I'm very, very grateful. Someone the other day gave me the definition of of, uh, of the word many, uh, and I must say, it, it means a lot. Oh dear! Oh dear! That's a definite cut, right? Bit of tumbleweed going past don't, there. Don't encourage him. I've learned this over the years. You don't encourage him. Just pretend Go it didn't quiet. happen. Go quiet and still. Quiet and still. And then, then he, he sort of just winds it back in again. So, uh, so okay, so I'm going I'm to make a big assumption then here, then, Inga, that you've come across the section of the show called 60 Second CPD. Yes, yes, I have. And I'm going to do one of the most appalling segues ever because mm. you were talking about quality of life there. And would I be right in thinking that you'd like to do a 60-second CPD on ensuring the quality of life of... Patients. Patients. In general, yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. So is that is that what you're up for? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. So, so on this episode of Veterinary Ramblings, Inga is going to give us 60-second CPD on ensuring the quality of life for our patients starting now. Right, so first of all, um, it's important to remember that quality of life for our patients is specific to the patient and the pet carer um, because the two are linked. So you can't have quality of life for one and not have it for the other. So the first thing we really need to do is look at our specific patient um, and what's important to them. So, of course, we need to look at the basics. We need to look at are they eating? Are they drinking? Are they mobilizing? Um, are they socializing? Are they passing feces and urine? But also we need to look at the specifics for that patient. So are they playing with specific toys? Um, do they like chasing squirrels? Are they trying to get up on the counter? Are they barking at the postman? These are all things that encompass quality of life for those patients. And if they're not doing those things, how can we facilitate them? So analgesia, environmental modifications, anti-nausea drugs, all of that kind of thing. And then we look at how we can assess this. So there's lots of quality of life scales we can use. So there's the Lap of Love scale, there's Uni of Ohio. The trick is to use them with our pet carers while the pet's well, and then we can identify quality of life deteriorating. Ooh. Very good. I left that line, but I lost, <laughs> lost the time. That was good. No, that was perfect. perfect without that. What, what was the missing what line? Was that line? Oh, taking decisive action once we have identified that. Yeah. There we go. So that will go into question time there. Fantastic. Inga, what a brilliant 60-second CPD. That's Thank super. you very much. I, I could picture you so, encouraging the postman to knock on the door and run away just so the dog barks and gets all excited. And it wasn't quite clear to me that does the postman dress as a squirrel while he's doing that? I mean, I think, that, well, that's probably a different podcast, I'd imagine. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. probably not, not worth discussing on this one, I think. But best, best not. I think there's one of the German sites cover that, don't they? Yes, probably. It's a niche market right there. <laughs> no, that's brilliant. And 
So it's really getting to know what what the pet was like before. Yes, absolutely. Comparing yeah. that to the during, yeah. so that in the after, we can we can model that behaviour. Yeah. And absolutely. if the pet is no longer enjoying the things he or she used to, then there's something wrong, isn't there? And we need to uh, rectify yeah. that. Yeah, I guess in in its simplest term, in terms of quality of life scales, we tend to say, you know, if someone really doesn't want to go through, some people don't obviously like forms or that kind of thing. So you say, well, what are the five things that your pet liked doing most during his lifetime? And usually, you know, for for Eric, it's having treats, probably his number one. Um, I heard it was having sandwiches from your co-workers. He likes sniffing things. So he likes going on these long sniffy walks, not necessarily going fast, but just sniffing everything. Um, he likes so- socialising with me. Certainly, he likes to cuddle up on the sofa. Is he there? Thing. He is. He's asleep right beside me. He's fast asleep. It's past his bedtime. He also likes to go to bed at nine o'clock. So he will stand on the stairs, staring at me about nine o'clock, going, "Are you coming to bed, Mum?" Oh, I sound like a crazy dog lady. So I need to be careful with this. <laughs> You've only got one, it's fine. When you've got 20 and talking about them all, then, then you're a crazy dog lady. Yeah. I do joke that because there was a story in the paper a couple of years ago where um, I think a lady sadly passed away and they went into the house and her husband was there and the dogs were just popping out from behind the washing machine. She had 82 chihuahuas. So I do tend to joke that I just need 81 more and I'll be set. So, yeah. Quite possibly. <laughs> I know. I believe they took them away, rehomed a lot of them, neutered a lot of them, and then left the husband with six that were um, very loyal to him, but unrehomable, apparently. <laughs> Which did this <laughs> And they duly ate him. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. probably. Uh, well, 82. 82. I think six is still too many, but 82 definitely is. One is more than enough. One is more than enough. I always said I'd get a big dog and I got a chihuahua cross. So, you know, something went wrong somewhere. He's a big dog in a small body. Yes, absolutely. Big personality. What's the collective noun for chihuahuas? Oh. A, a dentition of chihuahuas. A land shark of chihuahuas. I don't know. What's the, what's the shark multiple? Wouldn't be a school. I don't know. I've certainly not heard of sharks, is it? Chat amongst yourselves. I'm going to look it up. <laughs> you, you, well, no, I want, to, I want to see your... Have you done a certificate? Have you done a CPD I, certificate? I have, I have, yeah. Yeah. I want to see that. Yeah. So you, you look up collective noun for sharks, but I'm showing the CPD certificate. Go on, then. I'll do that. And it says it's it's certificate of not just life, but of good quality of life. Yes. And what have we got? We've got... Oh, my word. We've got some breads. So these are breads that I've made. This is a fougat, uh, which is uh, just a nice little decorative roll. This mm-hmm. is a tear and share, uh, what I call a pine cone loaf. Some bagels, some bao buns I'm getting into doing now. Nice. Uh, I make cakes as well. So there's uh, a wedding cake I made for a friend. Uh, this is all about uh, you, Julian. Sugar craft flowers. I think he's going to post them all to me. I think he's showing off. What, what have you done, Inga? He's showing off everything he does to you because you bake cakes and bread. Well, that's because Inga didn't send me any pictures or, or a loaf of bread before she came on the show. Well, perhaps she didn't so know. She, that... 
It doesn't send me a leaf of bread. I can hardly hear. Well, perhaps she didn't know she had to do that. Well, I'm sorry. Be fair, it wasn't in the instructions. I can't tell everyone. We've given her a three-page instructions on what to do before she comes on the show, and none of it says send us a loaf of bread. We sadly neglected that part of the podcast, yeah. haven't we? Yeah. Alicia, if you're listening, our producer, Alicia, we need to have a little section saying, are you prepared to send a loaf of bread or a small cake or, or even uh, a large uh, cake? Um, no, it's not as if a, either of us are starving, is it? I mean, come on. No. Pathetic. Wasting away. Yes. Anyway, get with the CPD um, stick. What's that? Looks like an X-ray. Okay, well, yeah, it's an X-ray of a, of a dog with multiple met- metastatic lesions. Right. Um, that actually did very well on chemotherapy and was still around uh, eight months after this view was taken. Beautiful. Right. And, uh, and there is a very bad shot I took today of a coffee, just because you put you like coffee. Love coffee. Yeah. Uh, now, what sort of coffee do you like? What sort of coffee? Oh, I'm not yeah. a coffee snob. Well, I am a coffee snob, but it has to be proper coffee. No instant coffee. I can't. Oh, good, good. That's fair enough. Good. So, yeah. Good. Just so, a good, yeah. proper coffee. And Actually, my mum's friend has a coffee company in the lakes, so. Oh, does she? But I'll say I love Pennington's coffee because they do a good coffee. So that's a little dig for Pennington's coffee in the lakes. If you're passing by the lakes, is that Coniston direction? No, they're in Kendall. They're in Kendall. Kendall. Oh, right. So get some mint cake to dip yeah. in your Pennington's coffee. Exactly. That's it. And you mentioned you like music, uh, yes. so that, that's a mandolin. A mandolin, yeah. And it's not, okay, yes, I did make that, but it, you know, it's not all about me. Uh, what sort of music do you like? You, are you a mandolin player? Is it just mandolin you like, or do you like other things? Well, I do some of players from the mandolin specific music. It's a bit narrow, a niche. Yeah, um, bit of everything really. Massive range. So my my mum would have brought us up listening to like the Beatles and Hendrix and. Bob Dylan and The Doors, um, mm-hmm. that's quite cool. She's got good music taste. So, um, and then yeah, I'll listen to classical. I've got I've got music in work generally in our chemo room, so we tend to to theme it to the patients. So, um, for example, we've got a dog called Hugo comes in. We sing. I don't know. Do you know the We Don't Talk About Bruno from the Disney song? Oh yes. Yes, so we'll, uh, we'll play that. Encanto, isn't it? Yes. Encanto, yeah. We play yeah. that, but we sing Hugo where they say Bruno. So we'll play the Scooby-Doo theme tune for a dog that looks like Scooby-Doo. We're, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bit of everything. Sorry, I, I <laughs> have some sort of weird Tourette syndrome. <laughs> Whenever someone says Scooby-Doo, I do my... Hey, like your scoops. Very yeah. good. Okay, <laughs> so let, let's, let's go back. Let's wind this back just a little bit. That's a fantastic... Certificate of your achievements in bread there, Julian. Well done. Thank, thank you very much. You're Thanks. very welcome. Thanks, I was really... No, 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 no. no, no. It's, it's a certificate of, of, of the achievement of having Inger on tonight. That's what it... Look, we focus on that bit. Certificate of not just life, but a good quality of life. That's and really, perfect. I think, tonight has told us that, hasn't it? That That's a lovely summary. Life has to have quality, otherwise okay. there's yes. nothing. So before you, before you went into that, you said, what is a group of sharks called? Yes. Any ideas? No. <laughs> I feel like I should know this one, but it's... I, well, I, you sort of feel that you should know it, and we've all heard of a school of sharks. Mm. Have you heard of a shiver of sharks? Oh, a shiver? Nice. Or a frenzy of sharks? Well, I feel like a shiver of chihuahuas would be perfect. It probably <laughs> would be that shaky thing, but Actually, they will I, also kill you. Yeah, I have to say, 
Thank you very much, Shark World, because I did say a herd of sharks, and in fact, herd of sharks is actually correct, as well as a gam of sharks. A gam. A gam. Hmm. A gam, a frenzy, a school, a shiver, or a herd. There we go. We've learned something there, haven't we? I guess when you're faced by, say, 50 or 60 hammerheads coming towards you, you're going to think of all those words and more. Yes, yeah. I'd imagine so. Yeah, probably. Mm. Something along those lines. Yeah, probably more along the lines of uh, sharks. Yeah, mm. well, that's where you learn that adrenaline doesn't come in a little bottle and is clear. <laughs> no, you wouldn't want to bottle that. Oh, no, sorry, it's it. the effects of adrenaline, isn't it? Yes, okay. <laughs> sorry. Okay, bad joke there. Oh, that's I see we're getting off the subject again, which is what we do. I, I think we've... It's a well-named podcast. We've wandered off the side of the hill. Kind of is, isn't it? Yeah. But I think it all goes to show we had a fantastic night's CPD and yeah. a really, really good chat with our new best bud, Inga. Inga, yeah. Hey, Inga, have you got a question to reflect on? Oh, yes. Oh, we need that, don't we? We do need Yes, yeah. we do. And at all, I'm very, I'm very single-minded on this, but so apologies in advance. We've touched on it a little bit. Don't apologise. That's why you're here. But, we want to hear um, what your views are. So my, my question really is, I guess, when we as vet professionals see a patient with a medical condition, so something like diabetes or Addison's or Cushing's or, you know, disc protrusion, something surgical, we're more than willing to attempt treatment. So even if maybe short term our quality of life is going to be affected, so you're going to have to go through surgery and some element of discomfort. Um, and even if you've got something like diabetes where it's management rather than cure. So why in that case does the term cancer cause such fear that we don't treat it the same way? So why why don't we go in with the same aims? We immediately think of oh, cancer, terminal let's euthanize, rather than thinking, well, actually, we can give this quality of life, we can treat for a prolonged period of time, and we can keep this patient well and with their family. Um, And I think the other thing to tie into that is that, again, it's, well, he's got cancer, he's old, and age is not a disease. So why why do we, as veterinary professionals, not, not take that view that cancer is, yes, it's another illness, but it's something we can quite often manage really well. Wow. Really good point. Yeah. Really good point. Very profound. And, we and just as, need to change as, our view, don't we? Have? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Perception. I suppose to a certain extent, it's a little bit like if you go into your GP practice and the C word is mentioned, you don't hear anything else that's said. You've got cancer and we just lock down. And presumably that's a similar effect for, for our veterinary patients. We hear that yeah. word and we lock down. Yeah, definitely. And there's this trauma associated with it. Absolutely. People have this massive trauma response. And like you said, everyone's got an experience, don't they, themselves? Mm-hmm. So they immediately think of that bad experience they've had with themselves or with, you know, family members. And that translates. So I think it's our job as veterinary professionals to actually to say, I know this is a scary thought. I know this is a scary conversation. Let me give you the information that's correct, that pertains, and let's talk about what we can do to make things better rather than nearly joining in that trauma response and kind of having a little panic with them. Because it's normal. You're going to you're going to have that panic, but I think it's our, our duty to educate, isn't it? I think it is. And I don't I'm not gonna ask you to, to give any figures for uh, for how successful cancer therapy is in in, uh, in our pets these days but 
I bet it's a lot more successful than it was yeah. 25 years ago when I first qualified and, and even five years ago because new treatments are coming out almost every day. The, the, the monoclonal style of treatments, the RNA um, uh, vaccinal treatments, the, the um, bacteriophage treatments, yeah. all, all of those new ideas that are coming out, uh, yeah. not, not to mention gene therapy. Uh, are really changing the face of, of human cancer therapy and of pet cancer therapy. And often clients will know of someone who's had a bad experience, and vets will know of someone who's bad, had a bad experience. But, but maybe the bad experience they had was, was long enough ago that actually, had they been treated here and now, they would have done a lot better. So no treatment stands still, and cancer treatment, I think, is one of those modalities that really is moving tremendously rapidly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I think I think on that note, we've talked about cancer and, and negative stuff, sort of negative stuff, most of the evening. But that's a positive note on which to probably end on. I think it's fair enough to do that. I'd like to finish on a positive note. Yeah. Yes, so, absolutely. So if you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight, please get in touch with us, drop us a line, and please, please, please subscribe because it really does make a difference. And so, on behalf of Veterinary Ramblings, I'd like to say, Inga, thank you very, very much. And may may Eric, your dog, go with you. <laughs> thank may you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on Veterinary Ramblings, Inga. Thanks for having me. Cheers. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.